Amen. Thank you, Matthew. So, uh, good morning, everyone. Again, we are uh, nearing our, the end of our series through the book of Genesis, and we're in the last story cycle, which focuses on the life of Joseph and his brothers. Um, it runs from chapters 37 through 50, and this morning we're going to actually look at, we're not going to be here till 3 o'clock, I promise you, um, chapters 42 to 45, okay, or at least the front half of, of 45. So I want to just review briefly the story to this point before we dive into chapter 42. So Joseph is one of 12 brothers. He was Jacob, his father's favorite, firstborn of, his, of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. The other brothers were envious of him. He got this special coat from his father, um, probably indicating authority, even though he wasn't the firstborn, he wasn't the oldest, and so they were envious of him. They hated him. And they ended up selling him into slavery. And because of that, he ended up in Egypt, far from home, and became a servant of Potiphar, a captain of the guard. So he first rose to become Potiphar's right hand, um, entrusted with everything in his household. Seems like he had some serious administrative gifts. Um, God was with him and blessed him. But then Potiphar's wife sought to seduce him, and he refused he resisted her advances over and over again until one day she caught him alone with no one around. She grabbed him by his garment, and he ended up leaving that garment in her hand, and he fled. So I am doing a review here, but I also want to just stop for a second here and um, correct and clarify something from two weeks ago when I preached on Genesis 39 this incident with Potiphar's wife. There were actually a couple of Bereans, I'll call them. So if you're familiar with Acts 17, um, Paul commended some noble Bereans um, because of the fact that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul, the apostle, is preaching and they're checking to make sure what he's saying is true in the word, and Paul commends them for that. So I said um, in chapter 39 that the ultimate point of the chapter is the faithfulness of God, which is true. It's like bookends. He's with us even when we suffer unjustly, like Joseph did, ending up in prison for being faithful um, and not committing adultery with Potiphar's wife. But I also applied it with a call to flee from sexual immorality. Okay? So I'll just quote a portion from um, someone who wrote to me, a man, and here's what he said. There is no place in this text that points to sexual temptation. Joseph never considered her advances. As a survivor of this kind of assault and harassment, I can assure you that temptation was not my problem. You missed an opportunity to help male survivors know that God cares about us too. Joseph, like many survivors, was blamed, punished, and suffered at the hands of his perpetrator. Okay? So, I tied Joseph's fleeing to the flee sexual immorality of, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 or elsewhere. Um, so, I think this text actually does point to flee sexual immorality as a, a true and faithful application, okay? So I'm not, I'm not correcting that. Um, one thing I think we need to guard against along those lines is reading the garment-grabbing incident, that kind of, you know, um, that moment back into the previous advances, okay? So we don't know whether Joseph was tempted or not. In fact, we can't know, Right? So he may have been resisting temptation or he may have been disgusted and just continuing to, you know, avoid her and resist her advances. But that points to the issue here that I want to correct is the fact that we can't know and the fact that ultimately that was harassment that he was fleeing, not sexual temptation, means that I missed the opportunity to say to men in particular who maybe have been 
you know, victims of, of harassment, um, I missed the opportunity to say, you know what, God sees you. We know that this actually happens. God sees you and cares about you too. So God speaks to women who have been abused in, in Genesis 34, the defiling of Dinah. And even though it doesn't happen as often, that can be a group of people that feel like they could never say anything because it's so shameful and so forth. Whether you were a boy or as a man, harassment and then maybe unjust treatment as a result. So can we say resist and flee sexual temptation? Absolutely, because in Proverbs 5 to 7, it's the temptress. It's the seductress. You might not be going out looking for this, but she's coming for you. Whether on the internet or at work, I know some guys in here that have had situations at work where women are flirting with them and, and, you know, brushing up against them and so forth. And even if you don't want it, it can start to, can start to lodge in your heart and you start thinking. Okay? So we have to avoid and flee. But also, at the end here, it's pretty clear he wasn't tempted by her. He is running from harassment. And then he gets unjustly imprisoned as a result. So the point is, um, the fact that we can't know whether that was tempting or not to Joseph should have chastened the confidence of my application, and I should have applied it in both directions, not just in the realm of fleeing sexual temptation. Okay, so I wish I would have spoken to the boys and men who maybe have been placed in a difficult position Um, vulnerable positions due to age or power dynamics or in some cases have gone through painful and shameful experiences. Um, So what this man said is true. God cares about you too if you are in that place. God hasn't forgotten about you. He was with Joseph in prison after he had been unjustly accused and he is with you as well. So I think it's, it's amazing that in the book of Genesis... These things that are oftentimes not spoken of and not handled well in the world, but even in the church, God has the really hard-to-swallow situation in Genesis 34. He sees Dinah, despite what she went through, and there is a word from God for her and anyone that's in her situation, and then also here in Genesis 39 um, for men as well. All right, so that's the quick kind of correction, clarification. We'll continue on with a little bit of review, catch ourselves up to speed, and then dive into chapter 42. So after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he's thrown in prison. Two of Pharaoh's key servants are also thrown in prison. He's attending to them. They both had dreams. Joseph interprets those dreams, and just as he interpreted them, they were fulfilled. So even though the one servant, the cupbearer, gets you know, um, returned to his position of authority. He forgot about Joseph, even though Joseph asked him to remember him to Pharaoh. Two years pass. Two years later, Pharaoh has dreams, and none of his wise men or magicians could interpret those dreams. The cupbearer remembers, ah, that, that Hebrew in prison. And he tells Pharaoh that there's this young man in prison who can interpret the dreams, He's quickly brought from prison, interprets Pharaoh's dreams about the seven years of abundance and then seven years of terrible famine, and Pharaoh appoints Joseph to oversee the plan to prepare for those upcoming famine years. So we ended chapter 41 last week with um, Egypt and even all the known world coming to Joseph to buy grain that he had stored up over those seven plentiful years because the famine was so severe, not just in Egypt, but throughout um, all the earth. So I'm going to actually read this whole section this morning, okay? Um, It's long, I know. In, in, you know, homiletics class, they probably say, don't ever do this, Um, but I don't care. (laughs) These are powerful words, Mighty words, inspired words, like living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to cut down to the heart of things and judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts kind of words, way more powerful than my words. So I don't know if we could spend our time any better than attending to God's words. 
So I'm just going to pray for us again here briefly that God would help us to really focus. It's easy to be distracted um, and really enter into this story, even if you're familiar with it. And I'll make a few comments along the way, but really we'll read the three chapters and then draw out two points of um, observation and application, testing and the mercy of God. All right, Genesis 42. So if you don't have a Bible, there's one provided in the pew in front of you, and you can find Genesis 42 on page 35. So here we go. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, the other son of his wife, Rachel, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. It spread all the way to Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. But he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. In other words, to find weak points that can be exploited. Maybe you're going to come and attack us. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. Remember, those dreams are about them bowing down to him. So look at all the language of my lord and servants that happen in this passage. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. One man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers. Do you think that stung a little bit? Twelve brothers? the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your, your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. 
And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, My money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this their hearts failed them, and they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We've never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies but honest men and I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my, my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol, to the grave. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From, his, from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps, perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took the present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin, and they arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. <coughs> the men did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, It's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. 
So we've brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. The steward replied, Shalom, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare. Again, the word shalom. And said, Is your father well? Same word. The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion. You could translate that mercy. Grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Then he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men who were sent away with their donkeys, they had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of our sacks we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also will be my Lord's servants. He said, Let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then each, man's, and each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground, and each man opened his sack, and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and every man loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you've done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. But Joseph said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, saying, 
have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces and I, shall, I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the, in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They were dumbfounded. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. God's word. <laughs> so, testing and mercy. That's what we're going to see here. So, first in kind of maybe an indirect or minor way, perhaps this was a test for Joseph. I mean, if so, he certainly passes with flying colors. But you can imagine if we don't know the end of the story, if you're not familiar with it, you know, you could see at the beginning now the governor of the land and the brothers come and bow down before him with their faces to the ground. How is he going to respond? He remembers the dreams. Is he going to get even? Like with interest? 
Well, we see very quickly that he is testing them from faith in God. He is not attacking them or getting even with them from a vindictive, vengeful spirit. He's not toying with them here. He remembered the dreams. He's realizing that God is fulfilling his promises. And he knows he doesn't need to take matters into his own hands. So Joseph is actually handling all of this in faith, certainly creatively, certainly cleverly, but ultimately, mercy and compassion are driving everything that he's doing. Their well-being is actually more important to him than him reigning over them, which is amazing. I mean, imagine that you suffered at their hands like he has. So he certainly passes the test, but this is a true test for the brothers, intended by God and executed by Joseph. Did you note the testing language in chapter 42? Look at verses 15 and 16. By this you shall be tested. And then verse 16, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. So all of this is designed to test their hearts. One commentator, Alan Ross, says, Joseph recognized his brothers and remembered their deeds, and although they did not recognize him, they began to remember their deeds. So the brothers had obviously not, up until this point, been honest about their evil. They'd kept it hidden all these 13 years. They're not repentant. And God is about to deal with them for their sin. And so through Joseph's brilliant dealings with them, their consciences are beginning to be awakened and they are brought to a point of grief over their evil. So the fear of God is actually awakening and growing in their hearts through all of this. Joseph's words and his actions are, are fanning those flames. Look at chapter 42, verse 17. So he puts them in custody for three days. On the third day, he says, do this and you will live, for I fear God. Okay, wait, wait. How, how do you hear, you pagan in Egypt, how do you fear God? If you are honest men, so you can see how these words just are opening their seared conscience, like tearing off some of this calloused conscience and bringing up the remembrance of all this old evil and sin. Do you fear God? You should fear God. I mean, do you see how many times they refer to themselves as honest men? We're honest men. We're honest men. We're honest men. Really? Let's see if there's truth in you. Joseph is testing this. So they had withheld mercy from Joseph. See down in verse 21. When they're talking to each other, they don't realize that Joseph can understand them because of the interpreter. We are guilty concerning our brother. We saw the distress of his soul, but we, we didn't give him mercy. Is God now withholding mercy from us? Is it, is it coming back on us now? The money in the sacks, that was another test. Look at 42.27 and how they respond. What is this that God has done to us? Maybe it was your grandmother that said, be sure your sins will find you out. You know, that's not just grandmother wisdom. That's in the Bible. Deuteronomy 32. No one's getting away with anything. God sees it all. He knows all. Look down at th verse 36 in chapter 42. Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. So what do you think? He probably meant that in the sense of, you brought me news of Joseph's demise, and now you bring me news of Simeon, and you want to take Benjamin. But their guilty consciences would have been pricked by this, right? You know how our consciences will create pursuers where there ought to be some, even if there aren't? Like, have you ever been driving and ambulance lights are interpreted by your little mind as police lights and whoop, hit the brakes? 
Okay, maybe a pretty minor example, but you see, we do that. So how did they read that? Does he know? Does he suspect it was us? How about that second trip when they're invited to the meal? It kicks up more fear. They wonder if it's a trap because of the money. So they go and they speak to the steward to try to head it off. Um, we actually brought the money and, you know, we, we brought double the money back because, you know, we're not trying to steal anything. You know, maybe they're calmed somewhat by the response of the steward, but they're still wondering what is God up to. And then they sit down to the meal and mysteriously they are seated in age order. What is going on? What sorcery is going on in this place? What power is at work here? Well, we know that the conspiracy is a conspiracy by a merciful God to show them mercy. We'll get to that. But again, the fear of God is growing. And then Joseph tests them again by means of overt favoritism. You might have wondered this in the past. Look at 4333. I didn't really notice what this meant in the past. 4333 says... They sat, you know, sat him in age order, and the men looked at one another in amazement, like, whoa, how did this happen? Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. That's a test. Favoritism is being shown to the other favorite son. He gets five times as much food on his plate. So they hated Joseph because he was the favored son. So now Joseph is testing them by kicking up the same issues. Are they going to be envious of Benjamin? Are they going to resent the favoritism? Look at verse 34. They passed this test. They drink and were merry with him. They're able to actually, it's not bothering them. And then the final test by way of that cup in Benjamin's sack. Are they going to leave their brother behind? You see how this is the perfect setup. You know, they, they sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. Now their freedom is on the line. Will they sacrifice Benjamin for the sake of their freedom? He's testing their loyalty, their unity as brothers. But look at their response in 44.13. They tore their clothes. Do you remember what happened when Joseph's brothers brought the coat to his father, you know, they had dipped it in blood and they're deceiving him. What did he do? What did the father do? Tore his clothes. None of the brothers tore their clothes. They weren't grieving. They were glad to be rid of the dreamer. So what happens when Benjamin's safety now is on the line? They're all tearing their clothes. Like, whoa, they're changing. Judah's appeal then is the final evidence of this Change. He demonstrates concern for both Benjamin and for their father. He does not want evil to come about from this upon his father, you know, bringing his gray da- hairs down to the grave. 22 years earlier, they didn't give a thought to the evil of their deeds and the effect on their father in selling off their brother. But now Judah is doing just that. He's very sympathetic to both Benjamin and to his father, and he is willing to be imprisoned in Benjamin's place, the favored son. So for the brothers, God is bringing their evil before their eyes and then out into the open. He's cultivating the fear of the Lord in them. He's forcing them to own up to their sin. But that is grace. Guilt is grace. Getting caught is grace. Having your sin be brought out into the light is grace. An awakened conscience that was dull and insensitive or seared, the awakening is mercy and grace from God. Joseph's not punishing them. He's testing them. That's what God is ultimately doing in all of this. So, Listen to this summary of the change in the brothers by, again, this commentator named Alan Ross. How do they handle all these tests? The brothers promise to take the blame for any catastrophe. They're taking responsibility. 
They acknowledged their culpability and made restitution for the money in their sacks. That evidences honesty. They retrieved their brother from prison in Egypt. Unity. They are operating together. They recognized that God was at work in their midst. Beginnings of belief, faith. And they rejoiced in their provisions even when a brother was receiving more than they were. Gratitude. There's a lot going on here. Evil brothers are being given mercy. So here's, here's one thought here as far as application is concerned. You and I, we may need to identify with the brothers for a little bit. Do you have any old evil that you haven't owned up to? Maybe there have been times when the Spirit of God has shown the spotlight on it and you ran away like a scared animal because you're afraid of what it might cost to bring it out into the light. And you know what? You may, sin will do this, our deceitful hearts, the, the, the devil certainly wants to do this. You may think that God wants to corner you and torture you by shining that spotlight. No. That's never his heart. He wants to awaken your conscience that you've dulled and seared so that he can mercifully free you. God is not our nemesis. He is the hound of heaven. And he will pursue us not to pin us to the wall. He will pursue us in order to deliver us. Because only when you walk in the light will you be truly free. So we can wrongly view his attention-getting plans that bring our guilt and sin in front of our eyes. We can wrongly view that as cruel and torturous. No, 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 no. He's being stubborn in his merciful pursuit of you. I'll skip the story of my own life along these lines. Stuff that I stole as a child. And every time, you know, Spirit of God is working on my heart, for many years I just stiff-armed it because I was like, there's no way I'm going there. But God wanted to free me. And, that's, and he did. And that's a whole other story. But the point is, guided by God, justice is not seeking, I'm sorry, Joseph is not seeking to mete out justice and revenge on his brothers. He's seeking to lead them out into the light in order to bless them. So their change, their well-being is more important to him than reigning over them. He doesn't want to make them pay. He wants to test their character. He's not interested in exacting revenge or even giving them a taste of their own medicine in some spiteful way. He's interested in God's intention of saving many people alive. So it wasn't actually the brother's change that earned them his forgiveness. It was actually Joseph's belief in the sovereignty of God that enabled Joseph to deal mercifully with his brothers. So it's actually the theology of sovereignty at work in Joseph's heart, the truth of God's sovereignty that enabled him to have this disposition of mercy and forgiveness toward his brothers. So this testing was not retaliatory, vindictive. It was remedial and curative. Because what's ultimately on display here is not just the godly character of Joseph, though that is certainly on display and it's exemplary, but the character of God, the merciful character of God in the midst of his mysterious sovereign providence. So second point, we'll hit this briefly before we participate in the table. So we're going to look at God's mysterious, merciful providence. Um, you can see a pointer to it in 43.14 um, where Jacob speaks better than he knows. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And certainly that's what they received. I mean, isn't it just beautiful that how that steward responds to the, to the brothers when they're fearful of what this dinner might mean? Like, are we, are we walking into a trap, into a setup? And he says, no, I received your money. Peace. 
they are not deserving of comfort, but that's, what they're, that's the whole point. They're not getting what they deserve. They are receiving mercy from God through Joseph. So Joseph actually seeks to comfort his brothers because that's an extension of the heart and commitment of God. Look at how Joseph responds when he sees his brother Benjamin, how his heart just melts. We see his mercy and compassion again, an extension of God's heart here. He lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. God be gracious to you, my son, and his compassion, his mercy grows warm for his brother, and he just weeps. And then finally, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers in 45, beginning of verse 4. Oh, I'm losing my place here. He says, come near to me. And they came near. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. (laughs) He doesn't say, do you see how many times you've bowed in the last X amount of time? How do you like me now? He says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Because God sent me before you to preserve life. This is incredible. Incredible mercy from God through Joseph to these brothers. And Joseph seeks to comfort them. They had sold him cruelly, maliciously, and now the very one that they perpetrated evil against is seeking to bring them good. He's actually God's means of saving them. So they thought, originally, they thought Joseph ruling over them was a threat and it was like a cruel blow, but God intended it to be a blessing and a rescue. Had they put an end to his dreams, his life, way back in chapter 37, they would have put an end to their own future, their own lives. God was keeping his promises. He was going to multiply his people and bless them like he promised Abraham. So the big picture here is God mercifully raised up a righteous man who suffered evil in order to bring good to the whole world. Does that sound like a familiar storyline? In the same event, humans will evil, intend evil, and God intends and superintends to bring good to those same evil people. That's the gospel. How about the thief on the cross? Do you know at the beginning, he's railing at Jesus. By the end, he's saying, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Or in Acts 2, Peter preaching at Pentecost, he says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You are guilty. That was evil. And God intended good for the whole world. So mysterious providence, how does that all work together? God's sovereignty, human responsibility, it's really difficult. But the point is, God does all of it out of his mighty, merciful heart to bless his enemies. sovereignty of God in this case is not a matter for ivory tower debate. It's intensely practical. It's what enabled Joseph to forgive his brothers, and it's why God gave mercy to those undeserving brothers. So the mercy of God is both scandalous, because if you have a heart like Jonah, you feel like this is a miscarriage of justice and these guys need to pay. But if you realize that you, all of us, are natural-born enemies of God, oh, this is really sweet. So the mercy of God is both scandalous, God forgives and blesses his enemies. And it's sweet. 
God sets a table, a feast of mercy and grace for his enemies. <gasps> so do you see it? So it leads us right to the table. This table is scandalous because you know what? We sin against one another. People have sinned against you. How in the world, where does the power to forgive? We want people to get theirs. Only recognizing the mighty mercy of God and his sovereignty. You know what? God's in charge. He's going to take care of the justice in this universe, and I can leave it with him. I was an enemy, and he was merciful to me. I can love and be merciful to my enemies. Only understanding those things can we get over the scandal of mercy and sit at the table that mercy sets and feast. So that's what we're going to do here in a minute. Because God raised up a righteous man who suffered evil in our place in order to bring good to the whole world, to his enemies. So if the men who are going to serve can come forward. I'll pray for us in just a minute and then we'll participate in the table. So if you're here and you're still wrestling with what you believe, um, you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, we're glad you're here, and we'd love to help you in any way that we can, love to answer any questions, um, but you can just let the elements pass. Um, this is kind of like a family meal for those who've recognized their sin and turned from it and run to Jesus as their Savior to reconcile them to God, and we sit at the table not because of anything good in us, but because of the good and, and great grace and mercy of our God. And we feast on that mercy because we need it. And you may especially need it because there's someone in your life that you need to forgive. You need to let that grudge or bitterness or resentment be melted by the mighty mercy of God. So let's examine our hearts before we partake together. So Father, we thank you for your mighty mercy. You work things out in mysterious, providential ways. But Lord, we thank you for the beauty of this story of Joseph and pray that you would help us. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to be honest about our sin. You are safe. You're not a nemesis coming after us to destroy us. You are the hound of heaven coming because you want to give us mercy and freedom and cleansing and life. So bring that now as we sit at the table that you set by your wonderful, mighty mercy. And have your way and cause us all to live in the light and to extend your mercy and compassion to those around us, even to our enemies. In Jesus' name, amen.